This is the Best Song Podcast, an oral history of the first 90 years of the Academy Award for Best Original Song. The Best Song Podcast was made possible by the generous support of the following. Paulus Edukas, Terry Freerks, Tina Fry, Jeff Glazer, Mark Hollingsworth, Douglas Meacham, Mark Smith, The Sokolov Family, Colin Stokes, Adrian Quinn Washington, and Ben Watson. Let's settle in now for this episode with the host of the Best Song Podcast, Jeff Cummings. Now that we're firmly in the middle of the 1960s, we're seeing the soundscape of popular music changing dramatically. The top of the Billboard charts are no longer ruled by jazz crooners such as Frank Sinatra, Tony Bennett, and Bing Crosby. The last time Sinatra had a number one hit was in the late 1950s, and once Elvis and the Beatles proved that rock and roll was a viable medium, their peers followed suit very quickly. We had the Rolling Stones and the Kinks continuing the British invasion, and Motown was all the rage, with the Supremes, Marvin Gaye, and the Temptations countering with rhythm and blues songs. Most of the music that was ruling the Billboard charts were love songs, but not the type that were popular even 10 years earlier. There was a stronger sexuality to them, something that was no longer taboo in any entertainment medium. The past three years showed a gradual shift away from the intense morality that the Hollywood censors tried to keep in the movies. By the year 1966, there was no stopping the major sea change that filmmakers were pushing into their movies. If you're a moderate fan of the movies, you'll know the movie Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, which sent the American censors into a rage with its language and talk of sex for more than two hours. In other movies, the words abortion and pregnant and sex and bitch were appearing in movies as frequently as the word love. People were having unmarried sex in every other scene, a stark contrast from the Fred Astaire Ginger Rogers movies in which they never as much as kissed until they agreed to get married. The Motion Picture Association of America was suddenly forced to allow these words and acts to be in movies and still get approval, even though studios had to pay a little fee to get that stamp. Over in England, directors were pushing those barriers much further in 1966, since their censors were much more lenient. Plus, London was the newest place for risque behavior. England's capital city had just become swingin' London. Two of the nominated songs of 1966 come from British films that tackled taboo subjects and became hits in the United States. Another British film earned a Best Song nomination, but it was completely wholesome compared to the sexcapades of the other two movies. Before we get into them, I just want to give you a quick reminder that there will be spoilers ahead in this episode, as there are in every episode. The first nominated song from England was written by Burt Bacharach and Hal David, two Americans who were earning their second nominations for the title song about an Englishman with few sexual morals but had loads of charm. The movie and the song was called Alfie, and it starred a fresh-faced Michael Caine who spends the movie having non-committal sex with various women around London. The discussion of premarital sex and abortions might have seemed quite shocking back then, especially having a scene where one of his female friends undergoes an abortion. Alfie thinks about marrying an American woman played by Shelley Winters, but that doesn't work out. At the end of the movie, Alfie is still single and alone, and in his many talks with the audience in a fourth wall breaker, asks the question that leads into the nominated song. 
After he asks the audience, what's it all about? He walks off with the dog before Cher turns the question back on him with the song. I don't know. It seems to me if they ain't got you one way, they got you another. So what's the answer? That's what I keep asking myself. What's it all about? Know what I mean? What's it all about, Alfie? Is it just for the moment we live? What's it all about when you sort it out, Alfie? Are we meant to take more than we give? Or are we meant to be kind and if only fools are kind I'll be then I guess it is wise to be cruel and if life belongs only to the strong I'll be what will you lend on At the time, 20-year-old Cher was just becoming a national sensation with her husband, Sonny Bono, as their song, I Got You, Babe, was a number one hit in August 1965. A year later, Cher recorded the song, Alfie, which was performed in the end credits for the version released in the United States. When British people watched the end credits, they heard the same song, but performed by Scylla Black, who had previous history with making the Bacharach song Anyone Who Had a Heart into a number one hit in the UK. Here in the United States, though, 
Cher didn't have the same success with Alfie that she had with I Got You Babe, unable to get into the top 30 with the song. But in January 1967, Dionne Warwick, who was becoming the go-to singer for Bacharach and David and Bacharach's original choice for the song, took it all the way to number 15 on the Billboard Hot 100 list in summer 1967. The second British film of 1966 to earn an Oscar nomination for its song was Georgie Girl, essentially a movie about a female Alfie, though the script is flipped as Georgie has never had sex and finds herself overwhelmed by the advances of a few older men in the movie. But we don't really know that when the movie starts, and we see Georgie, played by Lynn Redgrave, walking down a London street. Accompanying her is the title song, which is kind of commenting on the action. She's walking down the street fancy-free, without a boyfriend and hiding her loneliness. She stops at a hair salon and decides to get a new hairdo, but changes her mind immediately after and rinses the hairdo out in a public bathroom. So fancy free Nobody you meet could ever see The loneliness there Inside you Hey there, Georgie girl Why do all the boys just pass you by? Could it be you just don't try? Or is it the clothes you wear? You're always window shopping But never stopping to buy So shed those dowdy feathers and Georgie deep inside Bring out all the love you hide And oh what a change there'd be The world would see A new Georgie girl You can't always run away Don't be so scared of changing and rearranging yourself It's time for jumping down from the shelf A little bit Hey there, Georgie girl There's another Georgie deep inside Bring out all the love you hide And oh, what a change there'd be A second version of the song comes during the end credits with new lyrics to fit the film's finale. James Mason's character, a rich man who has watched Georgie grow up into womanhood, is finally able to express his love for her and ask her to marry him. She accepts, and the title song's reprise starts with ringing of church bells that show us the newly wedded couple getting into the car with the baby that Georgie has been tasked with raising. The song is a bit cynical, 
noting that Georgie got what she wanted, but even though she might not love James Mason's character, at least he's rich. Both versions are performed by the four-person Australian band, The Seekers. It's comprised of three men and one woman, and they had early success after traveling to England for a 10-week stay in 1964 that turned out to be longer when Dusty Springfield's brother Tom wrote the hit I'll Never Find Another You for them, and it became a number one hit all over the world. This made them the first Australian group to have a hit in Australia, the United Kingdom, and the United States at the same time. When Tom Springfield was tasked with writing a title song for Georgie Girl, naturally it was going to be the Seekers who performed it. Springfield got actor and sometime lyricist Jim Dale to help with creating the folk song about the free-willing London girl, and it turned into as big a hit as the movie. James Mason was already well-known around the world, especially after A Star is Born more than a decade earlier. But Lynn Redgrave became known outside England, and her Oscar nomination for Best Actress gave her the ability to start a long and successful movie career. The next movie on our nominated list is almost the exact opposite in tone and theme to Alfie and Georgie Girl. The movie is called Born Free, a movie that could be viewed by the whole family. It deals with the true story of the Adamsons, who raised three orphan lion cubs in Kenya after they were forced to kill their parents. The movie takes some dramatic liberties with the story, showing the Adamsons raising the cubs and keeping one of them, Elsa, all the way to the time they feel compelled to release her into the wild. Though there are several historical inaccuracies in the film, a point that the filmmakers emphasized in the opening credits, critics and moviegoers loved Born Free anyway, making the film a decent amount of money. Writing this musical score was Englishman John Barry, who, as we know, was becoming a big name in film scoring thanks to his work on the James Bond films. Barry had worked with lyricist Don Black on the James Bond film Thunderball in 1965, which didn't turn out to be a very good song, 
at least compared to its predecessor, Goldfinger. But John Barry enjoyed working with Don Black and suggested Black for help in writing a song for Barry's next film, about a lion raised by humans. In addition to working as a lyricist, Black served as a manager for a few singers, including Matt Monroe. Black handpicked Monroe to sing Born Free, which became a big hit after it was played in the film over the closing credits, where we see Elsa the adult lion gathering with her new cubs. The title and the lyrics seem to be pointed towards Elsa, but they can also be directed toward her cubs, who were also born free. We saw her many times again, born free and living free. But to us, she was always the same, our friend, Elsa. Born free, as free as the wind blows, as free as the grass grows, born free to follow your heart. Live free, and beauty surrounds you. The world still astounds you. It's time you look at a star. Stay free where no walls divide you. You're free as a roaring tide, so there's no But only worth living Cause you're born free Born Free the Song was a major hit But not for Matt Monroe Roger Williams recorded a mostly instrumental version in the summer of 1966, just as the movie was becoming a success. His version was a top 10 hit on the Billboard Hot 100 chart and a number one tune on the adult contemporary chart. Radio play was almost incessant and impossible to ignore. The fourth nominated song comes from the three-hour historical epic Hawaii and focuses on Max von Sydow's minister trying to bring Christianity to the inhabitants of the Hawaiian Islands in 1820. This was Julie Andrews' first movie after The Sound of Music, helping her showcase her acting talents. But she doesn't get to stray far from what made her a star. She sings the nominated song, My Wishing Doll, very early in the movie, a song performed with her two younger sisters before she marries von Sydow's minister and travels to Hawaii. The scene has one of her younger sisters acting as a rag doll who has a dress made from the clouds and ribbons from the rainbows. We only get 30 seconds of the song, as it is interrupted by Vancito entering the room. This makes My Wishing Doll the shortest Oscar-nominated song in the first 33 years of the award. 
For my raggedy, taggedy, little old scraggedy wishing doll. I'd see two fleecy clouds caress, and they'd become a snow-white party dress for my wishing doll. And every rainbow way up there becomes a silken ribbon for the hair of my wishing doll. And then one day... Oh, Reverend Hale. Julie Andrews never recorded a full version of the song, and one never appeared on the official soundtrack release. Only Elmer Bernstein's score appeared on the album, and no instrumental version of My Wishing Doll is played on the album. This means that when it was time to nominate the song, the members of the Academy's music branch probably voted for it simply because Julie Andrews sang it. Many other songs in the past have been nominated based almost solely on the singer performing the song, so it wouldn't be a surprise if My Wishing Doll got past the preliminary round of voting on Julie Andrews's name alone. The movie definitely feels like it's three hours, but there are some good visuals to keep you engaged. Elmer Bernstein has a grand musical canvas to work with, and he was awarded with an Oscar nomination for his score. He earned a second win that year for writing the song My Wishing Doll for the film with Mac David. This meant that the David brothers were competing against each other for the Oscar for the second straight year. And the fifth nominated song doesn't come from an envelope-pushing British film or a historical epic. It comes from the thriller An American Dream, featuring Janet Lee as a nightclub singer who romances a man under investigation for killing his former wife. On screen, Lee performed the nominated song A Time for Love, but the vocals were dubbed by Jackie Ward. Ward had done dubbing vocals for Natalie Wood a year earlier for two films, including the nominated The Sweetheart Tree, but was mostly doing work singing theme songs for TV shows. If you've heard the opening songs for the TV shows Flipper, Batman, and Maud, Jackie Ward is the one singing in them. So A Time for Love is performed after Stuart Whitman's character is questioned by the police for his wife's death. He is allowed to leave, and he goes to see Lee at the nightclub to try to rekindle their romance. A time for summer skies For hummingbirds And butterflies For tender words That harmonize with love A time for climbing hills For leaning out of windowsills Admiring the daffodils above A time for holding hands together
but time for fall but best of all a time This song features the only songwriters nominated in 1966 that had previously won an Oscar. And in this case, they were the reigning Oscar-winning songwriters, Johnny Mandel and Paul Francis Webster, getting back on the nominations list for this jazzy song that has no real connection to the plot, since there really isn't a tender love story underneath the film noir plot. An American Dream was a big box office failure, and that's easy to see in the movie's first 30 minutes. The acting isn't first-rate, even by Janet Lee, and director Robert Gist doesn't seem to try and rein in his actors. The filmmakers were so desperate to make a profit that they renamed the film See You in Hell, Darling, in an attempt to draw in the right audience. That still didn't work, and it's a testament to the Academy's music branch rules that allowed all of the top 10 vote-getters to be screened in order to get an equal chance at getting the official nomination. I don't know how that helped my wishing doll, but it surely helped A Time for Love. Though there was a wealth of songs in 1964 and 1965 that were locked out of an Oscar nomination and deserved to get an Oscar nomination, 1966 didn't have many choices other than the five that got nominated. One song that might have had a good chance of getting in didn't clear the Academy's eligibility standards, forgetting to put in a lyric with a now-famous melody in the movie A Man Could Get Killed. The movie stars James Garner as an American who is mistaken for a diamond smuggler, with hilarious consequences. Not so hilarious that the public were lining up to see the movie, but it did turn out one of the classics love songs. Composer Bert Kaempfert wrote a melody for the film that was subsequently turned into a song by lyricists Charles Singleton and Eddie Snyder. That song was Strangers in the Night, and when Frank Sinatra's voice took it on, it became one of his biggest hits and a number one hit for Sinatra after a very long dry spell. Strangers in the night Exchanging glances Wandering in the night What were the chances We'd be sharing love before the night was through Something in your eyes Was so inviting Something in your smile Was so exciting Something in my heart Told me I must have you Up to the moment when we said our first hello Little did we know Love was just a glance away A warm embracing dance away And ever since that night 
We've been together, lovers at first sight. In love forever, it turned out so right. Since the song didn't appear in A Man Could Get Killed, it was ineligible for an Oscar. But the Hollywood Foreign Press Association had more bendable rules and decided to nominate Strangers in the Night for Best Song of 1966. And when you know it, it ended up winning over three songs that managed to get the Oscar nomination, Alfie, Born Free, and Georgie Girl. The simple truth is that 1966 wasn't a major year for movie songs. That year did yield some impressive pop songs, though. The Beatles were all over the charts with no less than five number one songs the entire year, with Sinatra's Strangers in the Night briefly interrupting their run. The Beach Boys' classic song, Good Vibrations, was a hit in fall 1966, and Nancy Sinatra's iconic recording of These Boots Are Made For Walkin' marked one of the first times a father and daughter had number one songs in the same year. And you couldn't go very long in the late 1960s without a hit by the Supremes, and in 1966, that was You Can't Hurry Love. Elvis Presley's star was fading just a bit in 1966, as evidenced by the light box office take of his movie Spin Out that year. He played a part-time singer, part-time race car driver. The nine songs written for the movie were composed by 14 different people, including the song I'll Be Back. That's the one song out of the hundreds that Presley sang in his 31 films that got really close to becoming an Oscar-nominated song. It made it onto the short list of 10 in 1966. It's curious that this is the only Elvis Presley song that survived the first round of Oscar nominations voting. It's nowhere near as good as one of his most popular songs. In fact, it never made it onto the Billboard Hot 100. But the Academy's music branch liked it. Don't 
Looking at the list of 10 songs on the preliminary ballot for 1966, the choices really weren't that impressive. Remember that a 30-second song, My Wishing Doll, did get the nomination over Elvis Presley. Sid Wayne and Ben Weissman had written at least one song for every Elvis Presley movie since Jailhouse Rock in 1961, though not all of their songs were hits. I'll Be Back was the closest they ever got to being recognized by Hollywood for their contributions to movie songwriting. Music critics didn't have much to say about the Academy Award nominees for Best Song as the April 10, 1967 ceremony grew closer. The odds were squarely on Born Free, simply because it was the bigger hit, but not from the most popular movie. One critic was so brazen to write that, quote, If I were in the Motion Picture Academy, I wouldn't vote for anything coming from a British film. It wouldn't send a strong message to our American stars. End quote. But there were others that were sure that the British made a man for all seasons would win Best Picture, which it did over the likes of Alfie and Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. As has always been the case, not all of the original performers of the song nominees came to sing at the Academy Awards ceremony. This year, None of the original singers were on hand. If the music branch nominated My Wishing Doll in the hopes that Julie Andrews would sing the 30 seconds that appeared in the film, or maybe even a full version, their hopes were dashed. I doubt Julie Andrews was even asked, and in any case, Jackie DeShannon sang the song at the Academy Awards and used it as a springboard into releasing her own version of the full song, which runs two and a half minutes and has a fuller orchestration. Wishing doll, long, long ago I had a wishing doll, a raggedy, taggedy, little old scraggedy wishing doll. And every wish I'd wish would be for my raggedy, taggedy, little old scraggedy wishing doll. I'd see two fleecy clouds caress, and they'd become a snow white party dress. For my wishing doll And every rainbow way up there Became a silken ribbon for the hair Of my wishing Then one day, one day there'd be a party dress and ribbons just for me, not for my raggedy little nose, raggedy wishing doll. Wishing for she had wished them all for me, my raggedy taggedy little nose, raggedy wishing doll. Wishing doll. Wishing doll. 
Dionne Warwick already had released her version of Alfie, so her performance at the Oscars was not an introduction of her version. It was interesting, though not surprising, that Warwick sang at the Academy Awards and not Cher, who will have a much longer and more prosperous history with the Academy. Roger Williams gave an impassioned piano performance of Born Free to help sell more of his recording of the song and was accompanied by children singing Don Black's lyrics. Besides the presentation of the nominated songs, a musical highlight of the evening was Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers presenting the Writing Awards. The two briefly twirled on stage to the delight of the crowd, who hadn't seen them together since the Barclays of Broadway in 1949. Dean Martin, who was still hanging on to a movie career two years after the Rat Pat broke up, looked like someone dragged him out of a bar to present the Best Song Award. He didn't slur his words, but he mispronounced Georgie Girl as Gregory Girl. Thankfully, I guess, he didn't have to repeat that title again, with Born Free giving the Oscar to John Barry and Don Black. John Barry didn't attend, so Don Black walked to the stage alone. John Barry had also won the original score Oscar for Born Free, making him the sixth man to win Oscars for Best Score and Best Song in the same year. Just to remind you, the other five are Ned Washington, Dimitri Tiomkin, Richard Sherman, Robert Sherman, and Henry Mancini. This would be the first and only time John Barry competed at the Oscars in the original song category. He's going to have a lot of success with the Academy Awards, winning three more score awards in the 1960s, 1970s, and 1990s. None of them will be for his work on the James Bond movies, but he'll continue writing music for those movies through the 1970s. As for Don Black, this is just the beginning for him, and he's going to have a great career with movie songs. Tom Springfield and Bill Dale also earned their first and only Oscar nominations for their work, and it's the final time we'll hear the name Johnny Mandel with the Oscars. He'll keep writing film scores through the 1970s, though, One of the most lasting contributions Johnny Mandel made to music was serving as a ranger of the song Unforgettable that Natalie Cole performed in 1991 in a virtual duet with her deceased father, Nat King Cole. Mandel won a Grammy for his work on the song, one of five Grammy awards he won in his career. Mac David earned his final Oscar nomination in 1966 for writing My Wishing Doll, leaving him without an Oscar after eight nominations, six of which were in consecutive years from 1961 to 1966. He had been spending most of the 1960s in the lawsuit with fellow songwriter Jerry Herman over Herman's title song in the Broadway show Hello, Dolly. David 
David alleged that Herman used a melody that had appeared in David's song Sunflower, which was written in 1948 and made into a hit by Frank Sinatra. Herman claimed he had never heard of the song Sunflower, and in the interest of keeping this from going to court as the show was getting ready to go to the big screen, Herman settled out of court, and David received a reported $250,000. Mac David left a great legacy on Hollywood and songwriting in particular, moving on to work in television before retiring in the 1970s. Don Black, Burt Bacharach, Hal David, Paul Francis Webster, and Elmer Bernstein are going to keep giving us more Oscar-nominated songs in the coming years, and we'll see if their tunes can match what pop songwriters were churning out at the same time. All right, folks, so that's going to do it for this episode of the Best Song Podcast. Please feel free to reach out to me with questions or comments about what you hear on the show by sending an email to jeffswim at aol.com. Before we close out this discussion of the nominated songs of 1966, I want to give a special thank you to Peggy Rupert and Sadiq Hussein for sponsoring this episode. Thank you to everyone for listening to the Best Song Podcast and for singing along with me as well. Let's do it again next time. The Best Song Podcast is not authorized or endorsed by the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. The show's creator, writer, producer, and editor is Jeff Cummings. All music clips are permitted for use under the Education Clause of the Fair Use Doctrine in United States law.